when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing well nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Cagle Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world for all of your lane maintenance needs, including 24-hour technical support. You can always rely on the Cagle Company. So, go to Kegel.net. Well, Phantom fans, this week's guest needs no introduction. Excellent, excellent. Since no introduction is necessary, let's get right to the show. I have in front of me a book titled Stone Eight, written by one Len Nicholson, which features the stories behind the PBA's all-time... We're going to talk about four of the bowlers included in the book, and we're going to begin with Mike Albee who claimed the number 31 spot on the list by winning the PBA's so-called Super Slam and the number 20 spot by defeating David Ozio in the title match of the 1993 Wichita Open, 300 to 279. Now, the Mike is such a nice guy that I can't imagine you have a very interesting story to tell about him, but let's hear what you got. You know, you you took the introduction away from me again, and somehow you've turned this around. Uh, You've done it several times in the past. You end up interviewing me, but this is a novel approach. But, you know, I like this idea because, you know, speaking of Mike Albee, not only was he a great guy and one of the greatest all-time players, but uh, people don't know some of this little background stuff. He was a president of the PBA for a couple of years. And one of the duties that the president of the PBA would have would be to run the tournament committee meetings, which were on Tuesday every week during the tour. And those tournament committee meetings would consist of like the top 17 players, and they'd all get together and make the rules and regulations and policies and and whatnot. And they had a format that they'd go in and the tournament director, which was Harry Golden back in the day, he would call the meeting to order, and they'd talk about old news, new news, lane conditions, and the whole nine yards. <laughs> and then lane conditions would always take up most of the tournament committee because you could never please all the players. Uh, you know, they were all different kind of players, straight players, lefties, righties, you know, crankers, the whole nine yards. No matter what happened, they'd complain. So that would take up most of the meeting. Well, after several tournament committee meetings, Mike called me aside. He says, why don't you teach me all you can? I can save you from coming in here during the practice session and try to deflect some of these guys because 
Yeah, he knew they were kind of crazy and self-centered. So I would meet with Mike all the time, and he was really a smart guy. He picked it all up very quickly, and he saved me a lot of discussion with the players. Well, time goes by, and, and I leave, and then I come back, and he he retires, and back and forth, and I see him at the Bull Expo, and one day he calls me up. He goes, Lenny, you got a problem. I know, Mike, you know, this happens all the time. You guys, you retire, and you go into the bowling business, and and lane conditions are really brutal, even on the on the home front. He says, no, it's not with my lane conditions. I says, well, what is it? He says, well, I own an ice hockey rink, too. And he says, you'll never believe these skaters. You know, the hockey guys, they want the ice to be real smooth. And the, 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 the skaters want it to be real rough so that the guys wouldn't steal the puck as they're coming down the ice. And then you got the figure skaters. They want it to be so smooth. And no marks on the ice because they can do their figure eights. He says, they're always coming into my office. Can you do this with the ice? Can you do that with the ice? He says, then you know something, Lenny? Every day the ice is a little bit different. He says, when it's sunny, the ice melts faster. He says, when it's cold and, and wet and rainy, he says, the ice holds up longer. He says, I can't ever get it right. So we just laughed and laughed because lane <laughs> conditions and, and the ice hockey rink are just about the same thing. But... That was really cool. I love those discussions with Mike. <laughs> that's that's funny. You had to learn the uh, nuances of the Zamboni in addition to the lane machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's 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 wild. Well, Mark Rock. Let's move on to him. Mark is widely credited with changing the game with his power delivery. We all know that. On the top sixty list, he came in at number eighteen for his record-setting eight-title season in 1978. And also at number eight for his conversion of the 7-10 split on the first telecast of 1980. What would you like to tell us about Roth? Mark Roth, boy, he was a wonder. He, uh, You're exactly right. He is credited with being the father of the power game. Uh, when he came out there, he threw it hard and straight and uh, – he didn't do too well the first year or so. Then he went home, and he worked on his game, and he came back, and he was unstoppable. Uh, he had a little problem uh, from being from New York where the, the lane conditions back there are pretty tough. They get a lot of play, and they don't take care of their lanes as well back east as they do out here in the west. And uh, he would learn to just overpower the heads at home, and that's the first 16 feet of the lane, which is usually – more abused than the other part of the lane. And so when he came back on the tour at the first time, he would, what they do call circle the heads where you go around all the bad boards and all that. And you could do that at home because the lanes were relatively easy as far as the lane condition goes with more oil being, uh, you know, applied to the middle of the lane. Well, you couldn't do that on the tour. So he learned how to go straight through the heads and then break it off in the back end, and that's when he became unstoppable. But he was on the show so many times. And the funny thing about Mark was, as much publicity as he got, he was still a very bashful guy. He didn't like interviews, and he'd be walking down the concourse, and people would stop him for an in, for an autograph, and he'd say, well, I can't do it right now. I'll do it later. He just didn't want to deal with it. He'd be hiding behind the Coke machine and, and all that, watching them bowl. But uh, 
the number one thing about Mark that I remember vividly was he loved buses and he loved ice hockey and he loved the Rangers. And one day he calls me out of the practice session. I was away in the bowling balls. And he says, Lenny, look, you got to see this. I don't know what I want to see. So we go outside and he, he has this big envelope and it's a bunch of pictures of him in a bus, driving a bus, sitting behind the steering wheel. And he had about 20 pictures that he had somebody take. And he used to tell me that he would ride back and forth from one stop to another. And he saved the transfers. He had a whole box of transfers from New York. And he loved buses. Unbelievable. Boy, not too many people enjoy bus rides. It's, it's more of a, a necessity than a convenience for most people. But he really liked, liked riding them, huh? Yeah, he would sometimes... Uh, transfer three or four times and just ride from one stop to the next stop on the next line and he'd get two or three transfers that way and he loved it kind of weird <laughs> okay let's move on to norm duke who uh had one of the longest con continues to have one of the longest and most successful careers on the tour he landed the number 29 spot on the top 60 list for being the youngest to win a PBA title way back in 1983 at the age of 18 years and 345 days. Tell us a story about Norm. Well, Norm, he won his first title when I retired the first time. I wasn't out there when he won it. And I heard this 18-year-old kid won a title on the tour. And I thought, holy mackerel, I got to see this guy. Well, eventually I did go back uh, to work for the PBA. And I'll never forget the first day uh, I saw Norm Duke. He says, can I talk to you? I says, yeah. I says, I just wanted to meet you. It's really great. You're a young kid. And, and congratulations. He says, well, you're going to be the lane guy now. I just want to know what your philosophy on doing lanes is. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, here's a guy that's asking me all these questions. And he doesn't even look young enough to, to shave. And he wants to know my philosophy. So I said, well, let's go in the bar. Have a drink. I love to communicate. So I told him, I said, we only care about one thing, making them as fair as we can for the lefties and the righties. And our second, our, our second uh, priority is to make them fair for the righties and the righties. And, he, and by that, I meant there's right-handers that throw the ball straight. There's right-handers that'll hook the ball. He says, well, what happens if you're not, if you, if you have a, a number the first day and the leader's average in 220? I says, we don't care about the numbers. We just try to do them the same every day. He says, that's all I wanted to know. And you know what? And I was out there for about 800 tournaments, and he never complained to me one time. He was one of the few handful of guys that never said a word. And I said to him one day, I says, Norm, how come you never complain? He says, because, he says, it makes no difference. He says, I can never shoot 20 throwing the ball out of a towel. I says, what? And we went down there, and he had a towel, his, his towel that he wiped off his bowling ball, and he, he laid the towel on the floor. He put the ball in the middle of it. He picked up all four ends of the towel, took his normal approach, threw it down the lane, and he struck, and he struck. And if he left the four pin, he would make an adjustment in the towel. He was unbelievable, and he was one of the greatest action players of all time down in the Southwest. They're still talking about him down there. And he's been doing this for 30 years. 
He's remarkable, and what a talent. Yeah, I guess with Norm, you know, he, people think of him as just a straight player, but he can hook the ball, and like you said, he can he can average 220 on just about anything. I guess the key for him is in the higher scoring tournaments. How does he give it up that extra 10 pins? Right, right. Well, most yeah. of the top players don't like the scores to be high because that opens the field to too many guys that can win because there's a lot of guys that can strike when their lanes are easy. But it's just like golf, you know, the, the harder the course is, the better the cream comes to the top. Sounds like a topic for another show, but uh, look at the old clock on the wall tells us we're almost out of time. That's probably why they call Phantom Radio the fastest program in all of sports. So let's wrap up with a man who some consider the GOAT and at the very least the left-handed GOAT, Earl Anthony. Now, while he won a lot of memorable titles over the years, both of his spots on the top 60 list are related to money being the first to pass $100,000 in earnings in a single season, brought him the number 34 spot, while being the first to go over a million dollars in career earnings brought him the number six spot. The, I'm sure you must have a good Earl Anthony story. Well, I was fortunate to know Earl very well. We lived right across the bay from each other. And also my dear friend, Ted Hoffman, ran the bowling center that Earl owned. So we'd always get together and play golf when we could. And we had many, many, many discussions. And I was just mesmerized by watching him bowl. He was so great. And I interviewed him several times. And every time I'd interview him, he'd, he'd get the chills on my arms going because he'd tell me things that nobody else ever thought about. And one of the things that he told me was, you know, he says, a lot of times in between squads, you don't see me, right? I says, yeah, sometimes you're in the bar having a good time. And other times I never see you. He says, well, when you don't see me, he says, I go back to the room because I'm mad at myself for not bowling well. And he says, I had to come back uh, in the afternoon squad and make a comeback. And I says, well, what'd you do? He says, I go back and I'd lay down on the bed and I'd visualize bowling six games, one shot at a time. He says, every time I'd throw a bad shot in my mind, I'd have to start over again. And I'd bowl six games flawlessly. And when I'd come back, my mind was clear. And you'd usually see if I had a bad first block, I'd had a good second block or a great second block. And I'll be darned if he didn't. How you can lay there and visualize six games? I've tried to do it with golf and bowling, and I can't get to the third frame before I'm thinking of something else. But what a mind he had. Man, not even one seven pin, or you'd have to start over, huh? Yeah. Well, if he—that's a seven pin. He felt he threw it bad. You know, if it's a ringing wow. seven, he got too much of it. If a weak seven, he didn't get enough of it. It was just the right amount that he was always looking for. Unreal. Yeah, he was—he was a perfectionist. That—that's for sure. Well, I have just one more question for you, though. At the beginning of eight book, on the acknowledgments page. You thank Sam Villarreal, the great uh, illustrator, Susie Minshew, Jennifer Hughes, John Mark Manzione, Tom Clark, and J.R. Schmidt. And yet you don't thank the guy who wrote the foreword of the book and one of the blurbs for the cover. Why, why is that? 
Well, because he's probably, of all those people you named, he's probably the guy that I'm the closest to. And I've had him on the show many, many, many times. And I've leaned on him many, many times to help me write things. And I'm no writer, and I'd ever want to take the credit for it. So I knew that I'd have him on the show many times. And he did it again today. That's my good buddy, Bob Johnson. So, Bob, I appreciate everything you do for me. And you've opened a lot of doors for me, Pards. And you, you surprised me with a lot of the questions. And you, you surprised me with a lot of these productions as far as Phantom Radio goes. So thank you for everything you've ever done, and thank you for doing today's show. It's always one of the highlights of my month when we get to do this. Uh, so uh, thank you again for having me on. All right. Well, Phantom fans, the old clock on the wall does tell me we're out of time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies on this show, and that's probably because it's a faster show in all of sports. But I hope that I, you I all enjoyed it. Phantom, I I already said that. You don't have to do that again. <laughs> you know, see, you even have to walk me through everything I do in my life. So that's great. All right. Get, all right. Get back to your clothes. <laughs> well, we, we look forward to seeing and talking to you all again next week. We'll have another interesting guest to talk to. And in closing, not only do I want to thank Bob, but I want to thank his wife, Michelle, for holding the phone for him because I understand he can't do two things at once. But anyway, I love him. I love her. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, Brad Edelman from the High Roller and Storm Bowling Products for all that they do to keep us on the air each and every week. Also to our newest sponsor, Dave Kowalski, who's with Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper Auto Parts Stores. He's also the past president of the Michigan High School Bowlers Coaches Association, where they have over 7,000 bowlers in their junior program. So for Phantom Radio, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me, and soon I...